All right, folks. Hi, my name is Chris. Uh, you, if you've been here before, oh, thank you. Somebody said hi. I appreciate that. I won't even look for that. Good looking out, man. Um, I'm used to the call and response, but I don't want to like force you to participate in it. I'm trying to be more mindful of that type of thing. At any rate, I'm Chris, uh, and it's nice to be here. Um, if you've been here before, maybe you've seen me. If you haven't been here before, then obviously you haven't. Um, but I uh, am really privileged to have the opportunity to speak with you today as part of this series about covenants, all right, and about the five covenants in the Old Testament and how they point us to Jesus, all right? Um, uh, and so what I want to say here, um, before I get into the actual passage, which I think you should be able to locate on the website, right, um, is uh, I was born in Lake Charles, Louisiana. Uh, I lived there for almost four years. And there's certain words that I still pronounce as if I, uh, which, which show the fact that I, was, I lived in Louisiana for a period of time. And one of those words is the word Pharaoh. And so you may have noticed, like, I have to actually be really intentional to say Pharaoh. But as I get excited, all of that goes away. And, and, and so I'll probably say Pharaoh more than once in this sermon. So I just want to give you that a heads up. I don't want you to be like, oh my goodness, what is this guy talking about? Um, and part of that too, there's this great song by Louis Armstrong, who also is from Louisiana, called Go Down Moses. Um, he plays the trumpet in it. It's a wonderful song. It tells a bit about uh, of the story I'm going to read to you today uh, from Exodus. Uh, and in that song, he says Pharaoh. And so I thought that might be where I get it, right? It's, it's from old Louis Armstrong. Uh, so at any rate, let me, let me, I want to read from Exodus 14, 19 through 31. Uh, and let me give you a heads up. This is not going to be a, a normal sort of, when I spoke in the summer, it was on a particular passage and I was able to talk about, you know, words and meaning and racial reconciliation. And this is a, a different type of message in the sense that um, this is fitting into a series, right, about covenants. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read you the story about uh, God leading his people out of slavery through Moses, okay, in Exodus. The parting of the Red Sea will be what I'm going to highlight. But then after reading that, what I'm going to do is actually provide some context, like what led up to that. Oh, I'm yelling. I'm sorry. So I'm getting excited already. What led up to that? And then I'm going to actually talk about the passage itself. And then I'm going to talk about what happened on the other side of that. And I might even talk about na- meanings of names and Joshua and other stuff. But it's, so it's not so it may seem like I'm all over the place, but it actually is a method. I th- I've thought about this. Right. So just bear with me, people. And I'm not going to be here like past lunchtime. I'm mindful of that. OK. You're thinking, goodness, man, this guy's going to keep us here all day. Um, but that, but that I think it's important that we do all these things. OK. So uh, Exodus 14, 19 through 31. Then the angel of the Lord, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other side, so neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them and all of Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of the chariot so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and at daybreak, the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it and the Lord swept them into the sea. 
The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen. The entire army of Pharaoh then followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground. With a wall of water on their right and on their left, that day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. All right, I got to drink water now. That, that was, goodness, that was 12 verses. All right. Ah, all right. So there's a lot there. Okay, so I, I'm going to come back to this in a little bit. But what I think is important for us to understand is that, right, this is, this is chapter 14. So there was a lot that happened prior to, right, um, this, uh, prior to 14. And so we meet Moses, okay, in Exodus 2, all right. He shows up all throughout the Bible, all right, notably in Numbers and Leviticus and Deuteronomy and in the, in the New Testament as well, all right. Um, I want to say this now, and I think I'll come back to it at the very end or towards the end. Uh, one of the things I'm struck by is that the name Moses means uh, drawn out, all right. And he was named Moses by, uh, by Pharaoh's daughter, in fact, okay. That's what we learn in Scripture because he's drawn out of the water, all right. Um, it turns out that there are 40 chapters in the book of Exodus. And Moses and the number 40 come up together a lot. Like there's a lot of associations between Moses and 40. And I think that's intentional, okay? He spends 40 years in the desert. Uh, he spent 40 days on the mountain, for instance. And so in the Bible, 40 represents uh, like a time of trial or testing, okay? So I think it's something that scripture, that we're being pointed to here, right? In terms of Moses and his life and the different trials that he's gone through, right? And one of the things that's been really, that was really clear to me in reading through, um, in, in preparing for this sermon, okay, is that, is that God was with Moses throughout all of those things, all right? And then also I think it's, it's to point to the, to the people that, hey, Jesus is who he says he is, right? To make, and there's so many connections between Moses and Jesus. So I'm getting there, folks. Bear with me. Uh, let me say one other key observation here before I, I, draw, I, I talk about some parallels uh, between Moses and Jesus, okay? So what I was struck by at the end of preparing for this, this message is, a person whose name means drawn out is used by God to draw the Israelites out of slavery. That just really hit me. I, again, I get y'all like, okay, Chris, let's move on. But I mean, I, I, I want to just kind of sit with that for a second. That's a really powerful thing to me. Like, oh my goodness, wow. That, I think that's something mean. I think there's something there, all right? Um, the other thing I want to say as well, and this, this is going to kind of lead into my conversation, my, my, these parallels between Moses and Jesus, is that. Uh, Moses is on uh, the Mount Rushmore of the Bible. Like if we had like a Mount Rushmore, right? I'm a political scientist, so this is how I think, people. Bear with me, okay? I see some of you smiling, right? But uh, Moses would be there, okay? He'd be on that, on that Mount Rushmore. Uh, I'm not going to tell you who the other three would be. I'll, maybe we could talk about that another time, right? But I know for sure Moses would be there. Uh, and the reason why I say that is because you can't tell the story of Jesus. You can't tell the story of God's people without talking about Moses, so here are just, uh, I'm just going to mention, well, five, and then I'm going to talk about Exodus 14, and I'm going to mention one more parallel that I saw in preparing for this message between Moses and Jesus, okay? Now, I'm going to cover a lot of the scope of Scripture here. I'm not going to quote every single one because I told you I'm not going to keep you here all day, okay? But you can, you can double-check me, right? Uh, Fact-check me, I think is the term they use now, if you like, and I'm all good with that, okay? Um, the first thing I noticed, which is really interesting, was, was oppression, Okay, um, Moses was born at a time when the Israelites were oppressed by Egypt. 
And Jesus was born at a time where the Jewish people were oppressed by Rome. In the time of Moses, Jewish boys were ordered to be killed by midwives, the very people who were delivering them, because they were seen as a threat to Egypt. Jesus was hunted by the powers when he was born and wound up fleeing to where? Egypt for safety. One other thing, I have to mention this too, um, that I'm struck by, and this goes in the very beginning of Exodus, is that it talks about Joseph, all right? And so what I think is really important there is that, and I'll give you some more context here, this is in, the, in, in Genesis, okay? Um, so Moses, recall, okay, was betrayed by his brothers, wound up being in prison falsely, ultimately became governor, the number two person in Egypt, okay? And because of God, like speaking to him through dreams, he was able to save the Egyptian people during a time of famine. But Egypt had forgotten all of that, right? And in fact, Exodus 1, Exodus tells us that like Joseph had been forgotten. All that Joseph did to actually like spare this <laughs> group, like this, this people group, had been forgotten. And then they enslaved the Jewish people after that, okay? Um, so I'm just saying all that to say the word oppression really comes to mind. And, and coming into this, I didn't expect to see that parallel. But I'm like, oh my goodness. Like Moses experienced oppression, Jesus experienced oppression. That's really interesting to me. Uh, something else I noticed too was, was water, and, it, and not just water, because I mean, my goodness, you could talk like 18 sermons about water, right? But uh, a well in particular. And so uh, there's a story in, in Exodus that I wasn't familiar with before um, preparing for this message, where Moses is at a well, and there are these seven women that go to the well, and then they're mistreated, and Moses actually speaks up for them, okay? It helps them water the animals that they came there to water. Um, and I think he actually ends up marrying, I think, one of them, actually. So you, you all can read that on your own. Uh, but what I'm really struck by is that Moses stands up for these women who had no standing, who had no power in that, particular, in that society at, you know, at the time. Um, and then uh, many of us may be familiar with Jesus and the woman at the well and how he treated her with such dignity and respect. And so I thought, oh, my goodness, like this is another interesting parallel here between Moses and Jesus. Right. So we have oppression and then we have a well. Uh, I think Matt talked about this a while back. But Moses spent 40 years as a shepherd. And then Jesus, as we know in John 10, refers to himself as the good shepherd. And so there's another connection here. Again, I'm doing this. Maybe I'm like doing this more than I need to. This is something I do as a professor. Like I say something like 10 times to make a point. But it's just because I want students to know that this is an important point. So that's kind of what I'm doing here. So just bear with me, okay? Um, confronting powers, okay? Moses, he speaks to Pharaoh. I got to say at least once, to Pharaoh, right? He says, Pharaoh, let my people go. And here's the interesting thing, right? The way that that's said, I always thought like he kind of like... I'm not going to, I almost was singing to y'all, but I don't sing that well. I got to practice, but right, that kind of song about favorite. No, I'm not going to sing, Kai. Let my people go, right? But it's not like he just says that once. If you read through the story of Exodus, it's multiple times. And in some ways, if I were honest with myself, well, goodness, well, all the different plagues, like Moses kept going in front of, in front of Pharaoh, right? So he confronts him multiple times, okay? Time after time after time, he has to confront the power, right? The most powerful person in that land. And then we know Jesus, he calls out the religious leaders and the authorities for their hypocrisy, okay? And for them putting up barriers to people being able to worship God. I'll say one other thing, then I'm going to talk about Exodus 14, okay? Uh, signs, all right? Something else that I noticed. So Moses is given signs, right, in order to show that God sent him. Look at that. Oh, look at those reflexes. I'm not that old yet. Look at that. I just turned 38 people, but I just went back to like my days when I used to play pickup basketball and I was a little more spry. Okay. Moses is given signs to show that God sent him. 
So in terms of his, his uh, staff becoming a snake, and you know, this this whole like thing that, that goes on in Exodus, right? And the idea here is that these signs are meant to show that he's working, that God has sent him, that God is working through him. Y'all with me? Yeah, I think just half a nod. Okay, thanks. Um, and then we think about the scripture, we think about Jesus, and Matt's taught, taught about this before, is that one of the reasons why Jesus performs signs is to show that he's divine, right? That he's been sent by God to rescue the world. So I know that's a lot here, folks, um, but oppression, the well, shepherd, confronting powers, and signs. These are all things like before Exodus 14, by the way, okay? So let's talk about Exodus 14 just for a bit. Now I'm going to talk about what I think is, is, is at least related to the text, like the, the clearest way in which Moses and Jesus are tied together, all right? All right, so there's a lot to say from this passage. All right, I read 19 through 31. Let's just, let's just note a few things here, okay? The first is that God is with his people, and in being with them, he protects them from the Egyptians. And so I think about the, the idea of divine intervention, like literally divine intervention, okay? Another thing that I noted that struck me is God giving Moses the ability to control the flow of water. He's able to separate the water so that the Israelites can cross, right, in the safety. And then he's able to bring the waters back together and in doing so defeat the Egyptians. I think this passage really speaks for itself. But what, what I'm struck by in reading it is just how scared the Israelites had to be. Right. They're fleeing slavery. Moses is leading them out. Right. They had to know that, that Pharaoh was, was, was coming after them. Right. They, I mean, again, I didn't do the research on the size of the army. I didn't quite go that far. But you all right, just kind of bear with me. Right. It's not hard to imagine an empire that size, the number right, that the people that are after them, how scared they had to be. How would they defend themselves? Death was all but certain. How do you cross a, a river? Right. They, they couldn't cross the river otherwise. They, they were going to die, either by drowning or by Pharaoh's army, right? And yet God intercedes. You all probably know where I'm going to already, don't you? Just, just, right? God intercedes. He empowers Moses and the Israelites, right, to somehow miraculously cross over, walking on dry land. And what we see at the end of this chapter, in fact, is that the people are devoted to God, and they actually trust Moses. So the parallel here, which I probably should have led with, right, but I wanted to kind of build up to it a bit, is that both Moses and Jesus are deliverers. So Moses delivers the Israelites from slavery, as we read about, and then Jesus delivers the world from a different kind of slavery. That's a whole other message, right? I, mean, I, I can't, right? I can't just, I, I said it like that because I, I can't like really delve into all of what that means, right? but from a different kind of slavery. All right, I'll let that hang there for a bit. Um, but they both deliver people. I'll, I'll say this now, and I'll say this at the end too. The, the, Jordan, uh, Jesus does this on a much larger scale, <laughs> like orders of magnitude larger. I'll get to that in a second. I'm gonna end talking about Hebrews and try to make some more connections here, folks. But uh, they both are deliverers. Now, the other thing I want us to, to that I picked up on as well in, in reading this and this, this comes up in Exodus 12, is the story of the Passover, right? And like the, the, when Passover actually came into being. Um, and so just for a little bit of information here. Um, so you see the mention of the lamb, and basically the Israelites are being told, they're told to, hey, slaughter a lamb, put the blood on the door frames, so that when God passes by, these homes will be spared. 
And if there's not blood on the door frames from this lamb and uh, the firstborn people and their animals will all perish. And in fact, this is the event that really broke Pharaoh ultimately, right? Him losing his son, firstborn son, and led to him letting the Israelites go. So I know, again, Passover, it's like a whole nother message, right? But what I'm, what, what I'm really struck by in reading this, right? In this whole, in reading Exodus, right? And, 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 and it, gave me, it gave me a different appreciation for this, the, the power of the Passover story, uh, is that they're told to celebrate the Passover, right? To commemorate God delivering them. And, and Jewish people still celebrate it today, right, for that very reason. And then thinking about Jesus as the Lamb of God, right, that provides the ultimate sacrifice in order to deliver us. I'm going to make a mention of a covenant here. I don't know how long I've been talking. I, mean, I don't have a timer, but, you know, Brother Matt's been going on a little bit more, and I called him Pastor Leroy a couple weeks back, and three people understood I was getting that. So I'm going to channel a little bit of Matt here today. Um, but one of the things I wanted to mention here about covenant is, is, and again, this is something else, another observation that I made, is that the, the covenant is important because it helps reorient the Israelites, right? They spent generations enslaved. I think at the very end of Exodus it says, Somewhere in there, I think it said 430 years. You all double check, right? But even if it's not 430, we can all agree on generations, maybe, right? Whether you measure it by 20 years or 50 years or however you want to define a generation. Generations of them were enslaved. It makes it hard to remember who you are, right? When you are enslaved and all you do is work and, 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 right? and you're oppressed. And so part of this covenant, right, is for God to help for the Israelites to remember who they are, right? And also whose they are. That God is with them. And I think that's really important. All right, let me take another break here. I, I still I have about two pages left here, folks. Uh, and again, I'm not saying this to brag, but I actually, I thought, you know what, I'm going to read the book of Exodus to prepare for this. And, and so I actually did. I did look at it. Again, I'm not saying that to get credit, but so I'm trying to figure out how do I fit in what I read, right, to give you both enough information for where it makes sense, but then also like... And I tell you every single thing. So that's what I'm struggling with here. So bear with me, okay? Because uh, I, I really I highly recommend that you read it. It's an amazing book. I learned so much, uh, and, and I'll be chewing on it for a long time. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, what happened in the remaining chapters of Exodus. And not everything. I'm not, I'm not going to be comprehensive here. Um, so in Exodus 15 and 16, the Israelites are grumbling about food and water. And so God miraculously provides both to them, including manna. And do you know for how long they ate manna? 40 years. There's that number 40 again. And then I thought about Jesus and the miracle of, right, miracles of actually feeding hungry people, right, that we see in the New Testament. So I'm like, oh my goodness, this is like another connection here, right? Like Moses and Jesus, it, 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 there, there are a lot of connections here. All right, another one. Exodus 20, okay? The Ten Commandments are given, and the way I want us to think about the Ten Commandments is that they structure how people interact with each other and how they interact with God, okay? So justice and righteousness is, is how... Um, I know I've heard Matt talk about this for a while. And so what Jesus does is that he then talks about the greatest commandment. And in fact, I'm going to read from, from scripture here. So I want to make sure I get this right. OK. Uh, in Matthew 22, 34 through 40. What we read is this. Uh, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So I think Matt talked about this recently, too. So I, I want to acknowledge that, right? But I, I think it's also important for us to, rest, to, to recognize that today. Um, and let me just, another confession here. You know, in, in preparing for this message, you know, I always thought, oh, you know what this means. That's pretty cool, right? Like Jesus took the Ten Commandments, and, and even though the passage talks about the greatest commandment, really the two that are given. And I know they're related, obviously, right? Matt has taught us that. But um, to go from ten to two is a pretty big deal. I, I like numbers, people. I like math. I'm a math nerd, right? And so I think, wow, that's a pretty cool reduction, right? To go from 10 to 2. I mean, it simplifies things for people. But then in reading the book of Exodus, what I realized is that, like, it wasn't just the 10 commandments that structured the lives of the, Israel, of the Jewish people. There were lots of laws and regulations that shaped how they lived. And again, this is just from the book of Exodus. And let me just kind of give you the, the key point here before I expound on these a bit. What I came to appreciate in this greatest commandment given by Jesus is how it freed the people of God to live their lives more fully, okay? It allowed for so much more grace. So instead of feeling restricted, like, oh my goodness, like I can't do this, you know, if my donkey like runs into this person's donkey and this happens to the donkey and I have to like pay them back this amount of money and it freed people from a lot of that. So let, let me give you, like donkeys, what is Chris talking about? Like, give, give me a moment, okay? So uh, in Exodus 21, we get, the, we get the eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth statement, okay? And more rules for living. In Exodus 22, we get rules provided about how people relate to each other and to property and to God, including how donkeys are treated and slaves and oxen. And, the, and I think what's important that I, I thought about is that this is people's livelihood, right? How are their actual lives, things that are important for them in, in, in that type of society, right? Where you're relying on these animals for your way of life. In Exodus 23, we get laws talking about uh, more laws are provided, but then justice and mercy are touched upon. In Exodus 28, we get a lot of information about how priests are to behave. In Exodus 29, we get at least five different types of, of offerings discussed. Grain offerings, sin offerings, burnt offerings, fellowship offerings, wave offerings. Certain body parts are to be burned, others are to be eaten, which animals are to be used, where the blood is supposed to be sprinkled. It's very specific about what has to happen, okay? I have a point here, people, bear with me, okay? Exodus 30, there's talking about, uh, talk about incense and how it's to be made and how it's to be used and atonement money and anointing oil and how to make the oil. Exodus 40, 40, the tabernacle was set up. And in the last part of the chapter, what we read is this. And this is really the key point here and why I think these rules were put into place, okay? At least my understanding. It says this, okay? Exodus 40, 36 through 38, okay? In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day and fire was in the cloud by night in the sight of all the Israelites during all their travels. OK, so here's what I need. Here's what I'm trying to convey here. OK, I talked uh, early on in Exodus. It talked about the, 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 the cloud and, and the fire. Right. And what that represented was God's presence with his people. I probably should have said that more clearly. So let me say it now. That represents God's presence with his people. OK. And so in reading all of this and reading the book of Exodus, one of the things that, I, that occurred to me is that we realize that at the end of this book, that all these rules about living and so forth were put in place and they were put in place so that people could worship God. So I know I threw a lot at you about wave, you know, wave offerings and grain offerings, right? And again, I'm not discarding that and saying it's unimportant. I really think you ought to read it for yourself. But it really all has to do with how people relate to God and gives them access to God. Also, so they could be reminded of God's covenant with them, that they were set apart, that God rescued them, and that he, in fact, right, is, 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 is with them and wants to be with them. 
So Jesus comes along and he boils down all these rules and regulations into this greatest commandment, which is basically to love God with all of who you are. Easier said than done, obviously, right? <laughs> Ooh, easier said than done. I'm speaking for myself here, people. I'll let y'all, y'all can wrestle with that on your own. My goodness. Okay, and then to love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, my goodness. Who is our neighbor? I'm going to digress here just for a second, right? But that's something I think a lot about and I wrestle with, which is, okay, obviously we have people that live next to us, but how about I just put this out there? And this is new. I'm, I'm processing this in real time, but sort of how widely we define our neighbor, I think, makes it, the, the more widely, or more, the more expansive, that's the word, the more expansive our definition of, of neighbor, the harder it is to love our neighbor as ourselves. Mm-mm-mm. All right, so, <laughs> um, but yeah, Jesus comes on, he captures that in the greatest commandment, okay? Um, it really points to grace, right? So they're no longer encumbered by all these rules and regulations for living. Um, I think that's really powerful. So uh, I'm getting towards the end here, good people, okay? Um, so what we learn here, right, and I'm going to talk about Moses specifically in a second. I didn't forget that I'm, talk- I'm supposed to talk about Moses. I haven't forgotten about that, okay? Um, is that God is present with his people, okay? And he's present with them in a way that reminds them of who they are, of where they came from, how they got to where they are, the fact that they used to be slaves, right? Um, and that they're no longer slaves, right? And so in this whole book, we open up with them enslaved, with them oppressed. God hears their cries. He sends Moses, an unlikely person to send, by the way. I didn't even get into all the Moses and like what makes him such a fascinating character. So let me say a little bit of that now. Um, a flawed, a flawed person, right? Um, even though he had the burning bush experience, he still was hesitant to go and do what God called him to do. Um, didn't feel like he was called to, to actually be who God called him to be. Uh, he actually killed somebody because, I mean, I, I think it came out of this, this place of like justice and really wanting, he saw someone getting mistreated and he wanted to do something about it. And then he wound up fleeing, right, after, after killing this person. Uh, that's just all to say Moses is a flawed person. But, but what I love about this story is what it says about God, which is that even though Moses is flawed, God works through him anyway. So even though I'm flawed, God can work through me anyway. Even though all of us here are flawed, that doesn't preclude God from working through us. I, I, think, I, I think that's a really powerful thing because it's not like you have to get all, you know, get all your stuff together before you can do anything. Like that, I think that's a really powerful, powerful thing. And I think because it, it really speaks to the character of God, right? That's the way I think about it, at least. That he, he will work through us anyway. That, that, that he will stay with us regardless of, 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 um, of our shortcomings. But here, yeah, you have this person, this unlikely leader that leads people from slavery to freedom, that parts the Red Sea, right? And this is something that Matt and I talked about, so I want to be sure to add this too. The waters roll back just as the stone rolled back from the grave on the third day. And they both represent deliverance. So here's where Jesus comes in again, right? Because I had to talk, I mean, I can't, I mean, right, I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to make the connection. I told you I was going to do this. So this is, this is like me moving towards the end here. Um, in, in preparing for this, I kept thinking, okay, I made these parallels to Moses and Jesus, right? I talked a lot about them. I gave you all at least six of them, right? Um, but then I was thinking, well, you know, even though Moses and Jesus are related, like, you know, Jesus, it, 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 they're not the same, right? Like Jesus is the son of God, right? So I had to find a way to like make that point too, right? Uh, and Hebrews 7 actually helps with that. And so I'm not going to read another passage to you. I think I've read like two or three already. And I felt that might be sort of the apex, at least in my mind, right? I've been at this for a while in terms of talking to you this morning. Y'all been 
and I, and I appreciate your attention. Um, so let me summarize what, what I understand in Hebrews 7, 22, 28 to say. All right, it talks about the law, and it talks about Jesus is providing a permanent priesthood. He's, he's the guarantor of a better covenant. If you don't hear anything else I say about Hebrews, hear that word, right? Better covenant. And it talks about him not, about us not having to sacrifice daily anymore because he made the ultimate sacrifice by giving up his life for us. It talks about Jesus as being distinct from other high priests. And what makes him distinct is that he is without fault. And he also provided like the ultimate sacrifice. So we don't have to like cut lambs and right, other, other animals anymore in order to relate to God. So the way I think about, think about it is like this, all right? So you have these different covenants, and they all are important. They all point to Jesus. But then the covenant, like Jesus, what he represents, and the covenant relationship we have with him is it, it, it gets elevated, right? Jesus magnifies it, um, takes it, takes it to another level. And, and I think that's a really powerful thing for us to, to be aware of. So I know I've said a lot today. Uh, I'm going to end on one small thing. I was talking with Brother Simmons before the sermon. I think I'm going to say this last part here, too. I, I've been wrestling with a bit. Um, and it's more personal because, I mean, it's one where I can get up here and I can tell you all there are 40 chapters and there's 40 days on the mountain. And right, I can say all that and talk about better. Don't get me wrong. Um, and the fact that we're flawed. Right. And I, I said I was flawed. I said that's on tape. Right. So for people that know me, you, know, you can play this. Like, you said you were flawed. Right, Chris? Um, and so I think I, I think these things are worth saying. Right. Um, but there's something else that really speaks personally to me. It's really interesting. I think God, the way God works through us is really amazing, okay? So let, let me make my point here, okay? Um, so as you all may or may not have picked up on, I, I like the meaning of names. I find that to be a really interesting thing to, 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 to consider, right? Now, I do want to say before I get into this, I don't believe names are like deterministic, right? If your name means you are like, a real, like something really awful, that that's what your purpose is, your destiny is. I, I, don't, I don't believe in all that. I, I think that's wrong. So let me say that before I get into this because I want to be very mindful of the fact, right, that... Um, that, that, that that's not the case, right? The names are not deterministic. But I do think that in the Bible, right, names have uh, points of purpose, right? They point to like sort of what people were made to do. I, th I think they tell us something, something really important. And I also think that in, in, our, in our times today, names are also important. They can tell us something. And so I didn't necessarily ask permission of the pastors to do this, but I looked online for their names and what their names meant. Um, and I was really struck by this. So, so just hear me out. And then I'll talk about myself here and then I'll, I'll be quiet. Um, so Matthew means gift of God. Dominique means of the Lord. Justin means fair, just. Allison means noble. And Joel means Yahweh is God. I'm like, wow, that's really neat, right? Like, okay, that's, that's something. God. Now, now, my name is Christopher. I almost never go by that because I feel like I'm in trouble when people call me that. There are only like few people in the world that can call me that. Um, but that means uh, Christ bearer. So someone that, that, that carries cross, that Christ with them. And so I, I was talking with, with, with Justin about this, and I've been wrestling with this too, is the way I think about that, right, is bringing Christ to bear, right? And bear, bear can be different words, a B-E-A-R, right? Um, but to carry Christ with me wherever I go. So whether it's in the classroom or in a faculty meeting or in my research or in my household or wherever, to carry Christ with me. Um, And even have an opportunity like to give this message too, right? To bring Christ to bear, right? In this particular setting, which is a real honor, by the way, uh, to be able to do this. It really hit me, right? I guess what I want you to say, uh, what I want to say with this is, 
Purpose, I think, is really important, right? And I'm not here to tell you, you know, I don't want to give you some platitude about purpose. I really try to avoid those kind of things, right? But what, what I want to encourage you to, 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 what I'm trying to say here is that we all do have a purpose, right? We all do have a role to play, like, in this particular expression of the kingdom, right, in, in Love Chapel Hill, you know, and, and in our own lives, right, and in the kingdom of God more broadly. So let's just go from sort of very specific to, to very broad, right? Um, and so what I want to encourage you to think about, right, in terms of as we move towards communion here soon is in this covenant relationship with Jesus, right, is what is it that, that God is calling you to do? You know, what is your, your, your broader purpose? What does that look like? And again, I'm not going to be here to tell you, like, what it is. Is that, Who am I to say that, right? But it's not lost on me that as I'm, as I'm preparing for this message, right, and I'm reading about Moses, I'm like, Moses, come on, man, you had the burning bush. Like, God is with you. He told you what he was going to do. What's all the hesitancy, right? But then I kind of see, like, oh, my goodness. Like, how can I say that about Moses when I have to look at my own life and think about my own sort of wrestling with that and, and with purpose and what, what I'm called to do and how I'm called to serve? Um, just something to think about. So anyway, I'm done sort of processing this out loud with you all. I hope you all have got what I was getting at there. If anything, now you know what our pastor's names mean. So there you go. You can drop that on them. Um, I'm just really struck by the idea of purpose, right, um, and the power of that. So that's what I have there, Brother Simmons. I guess I should have had a better sort of ending, but I, I don't really end things like that. I just sort of leave it open. And even the way I talk, right, like I, I end on the higher notes, people think I'm still wanting to talk. Um, but, that, but I hope that you learned something today, um, if only one thing, and that Moses and Jesus are really tied together. It's, it's, an, it's really amazing, really, really amazing. I think it really does speak to Jesus being who he says he is. So thank you all for giving me a chance to speak. Brother Simmons, lead us to a time of, uh, of communion. <laughs>